last week, um, I was sharing, in part of the sermon, I was sharing expressions of praise that God invites us and allows us to participate in. And one was shouting. And I read a few verses. Psalms 511, it says, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Psalms 3211, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalms 33.3, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalms 35.27, Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause. And let them continually let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. In Psalms 81.1, sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Sing aloud to God our strength and make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. A question I have for you is, uh, is God hard of hearing? Are the batteries in his hearing aid going out? So why in the world is he telling us to shout? He's not saying, I can't hear you. I need you to be a little bit louder. And I really don't know the answer to that. I can't tell you God wants us to shout because I give you my opinion. But God is inviting us to participate in exuberant praise And he's telling us, and these are just some of the scriptures, there's a bunch of them. There were at least, there's between 20 to 50 scriptures that that exhort us to shout to God. Um, Last week when I shared this, um, Jennifer, she shared after church something that she felt like the Lord gave her. And I wanted to ask her, I'm going to ask her to come on up and, and share. I thought it was pretty good what she had to share concerning shouting. Good morning. All right. Um, Pastor CJ kind of freaked me out last week. I just went there to tell him what the Lord said. I was hoping he'd say, oh, I will share with the church. He's like, oh, well, if the Lord leads me, will you come and share? And I was like, uh, <laughs> that was not the purpose of me sharing that with you. But, um, it was kind of nice because throughout the week, um, I went back and forth with the Lord and asking him uh, to clarify a little bit more of what he had told me. And he sent me to a few scriptures. One of them, which kind of confused me a little bit, was Proverbs uh, 18.21. And it says that life and death come through the power of the tongue. And I was like, okay, that's nice, but what does that have to do with shouting? Basically, there's a difference between shouting and hollering. Don't leave here thinking you're going to go home and shout and you're doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, The Greek word for what God is talking about is kuma, which is K-E-L-E-U-S-M-A. But the S is silent. It's kuluma, which means a word of command. So when you're shouting, what God basically shared with us was when you shout, you're angry and you scream. You're shouting. It gives you a certain release. 
you just feel a bit relieved. And basically that's what it is. When you're shouting, you are not aware of what's going on. Somebody comes in a room and screams. What does that do? It startles you. And if you're holding something, it's like it falls off. It, it, it falls loose. And that's what he wants us to do. When we're shouting, all the demons in hell get startled, especially if you're a person that does not scream, that does not shout. you just quiet. And when you shout, you get hell's attention. It's like, oh, wow. And when they release what they're holding captive that God gave you, it gives the angel the ability to go where your stuff is, retrieve it for you. And shouting also pleases God. And I, I was going back and forth between Joshua and Gideon. He told Joshua to walk around Jericho seven times and shout. And I was like, but Lord, shouting, what are we supposed to shout? And Joshua 5 to 13, 513 to 627 just gives you the recap of the whole story. But the verse that we'll be looking at is Joshua 6 verse 16. It says, the seventh time as the priest blew a long, loud trumpet blast, Joshua yelled to the people, shout, the Lord has given us the city. So when you're shouting, it's not just, ah! You have to ask God what in specificity you need to shout. What is it that you need to shout that is the key to releasing the things that need to be released in your life in order for you to progress? And same thing with Gideon. When we go to Gideon verse uh, chapter 7, verse 18... Gideon is talking and he says, as soon as I and the men in the group blow out the trumpet, you blow yours and, uh, you blow yours on your side of the camp and shout, we fight for God and Gideon. There is a specific shout that you're supposed to release because my shout is not going to be the same as Pastor CJ's shout. It's not going to be the same as Ellen's shout. It's not going to be the same as Candy's shout. What is the shout that you need to release from your mouth to bring life to your situation, to bring life into your family, to bring healing to your body? What is it? You need to seek God about the different shouts because every single one of us shout. But another thing too that God showed is that your shout can be the release to your neighbor. You don't know it. What you're shouting can be exactly what your neighbor needs because you could be sitting to somebody that's a brand new Christian that does not understand what it is about, that does not know how to shout yet. Just like a baby. A newborn cannot talk. All he does is blah, 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 until he learns how to speak. So the blah, blah, blah turns into mommy, milk, daddy, cookie. And some of us are frustrating because we've been shouting, we've been talking to God, but we are not seeing the blessing, we are not seeing the release. And God is saying it's because you are not using the proper language. You are five years old, but you're still talking as if you were an infant. I am waiting for you to progress. I'm waiting for your shout to develop. I'm waiting for you to start using the proper words in order for me to release because I'm not about to give the car keys to a three-year-old. Well, I'm 18. Well, I'm going to need you to act like you're 18 and not like you're three. So that way I can give you your keys to your brand new Mercedes that's sitting outside. I want to drive. You don't have a driver's license. How do I let you drive? Are you equipped to 
be able to be released and do what you need to do and get what you need to have. And that's basically where the shout is, knowing the different levels of where you are and how to communicate with God, how to shout to God to get what you need. Sorry, the most important, I was doing a research, actually, I found this this morning, and the guy's name is Gary Ellis, so you might want to look it up, you might be related to him. He said, these are, these are the four benefits to shouting. Number one, the focus and intensity of your shout produces a vocal shout of joy to the Lord, which changes the direction of your will. Number two, your shout produces a decision of trust. When you're shouting, you release your will for God's will. Number three, it it strengthens our resolve and emotional stamina. And number five, it mutes the voices of doubt and fear. Thank you. So there are some some reasons, some important reasons why God is inviting us to shout. And I appreciate Jennifer sharing those things. And there's more than we even realize. You know, there's more to it. And and sometimes you may not know, you may not have specific words, but a lot of time I'm shouting Jesus. And I'm just saying his name over and over and over. And we know that's a powerful name. And so the reason why I wanted her to share that is, is, you know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And I think when we live by faith, that means we don't understand everything that God is telling us to do, but we obey him anyway. You know the difference between the, the Western mindset and the Hebrew mindset? And the Hebrew mindset is when God tells them something, he gives them a command, they do it, and then they might understand. In the Western mindset, God says to do it, we want to understand And then we think about doing it. You see the difference? God says to do something. It's like, well, why? Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to shout? Why do I need to pray in tongues? Why do I need to do this? Why, why, why? And a lot of times because we don't understand, then we don't do it. And then we're missing out on the very thing that God's wanting us to get, to embrace the thing he's wanting to do in our lives. And so that, I thought that was pretty interesting and pretty strange because it says it so many times. Now, I haven't done enough research to be able to say this boldly, but it, it appears that that's the one thing, that's the one expression of praise that God says to do the most, other than singing, is to shout. Because it does tell us to clap our hands, it tells us to sing a new song, it tells us to play skillfully on the instruments. But over and over and over and over and over again, it tells us to shout. And the story she brought up with uh, Joshua, the battle of Jericho. Why in the world, God told them to march around, why in the world would shouting be the thing? Because when they shouted, all of a sudden the walls came down. So how do we not know that God wants us to shout so that the walls in our lives can come down? And the people who really need to get a hold of this, I want you to listen to me. I feel like the Holy Spirit told me this earlier. The ones who really need to grab a hold of this and really implement it in your life are those of us quiet types. Do you hear me? Some of you are saying, oh, please, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. 
the, the quiet, the shy. Because see, God doesn't, he doesn't tell the extroverts to shout. He says his saints, his people. And the ones of us who are going to have the most difficult time with this are those of us who are introvert, who are quiet. And so we need to be more intentional in saying, you know what, God, this goes against everything in me, my whole personality. But I'm going to obey you in this. I'm going to honor you in this. I'm going to trust you in this. And I really believe, I've been shouting like crazy this week. I'm surprised my my voice still works. Maybe there's the anointing on it. I've been doing it. I don't know, but but I've been shouting a lot this week. And I don't know what's happening in the heavenlies, but I know something's happening. I know there are things that are changing because and a lot of shouting I'm declaring. I'm speaking declarations. I'm declaring God's word over my situation or over this church or over my family. I'm declaring and lining up with what God says. And so I really want to encourage you to really go after and integrate that into your life is shouting. Even if you don't understand, even if Jennifer's explanation or my explanation makes no sense to you at all, just say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to take you by faith. I'm going to take your word by faith, and I'm just going to begin to do it. And then just see what happens. And if nothing seemingly happens that you can tell, just take it by faith and say, God, I thank you that as I'm obeying you, something's happening. You're changing something. Amen? That was of the Holy Spirit because I definitely didn't intend on spending that much time on shouting. But I believe he's wanting. Well, I know he's definitely wanting some good stuff in our lives. And a lot of times the way that good stuff happens is not the way we think or seem. You know, a couple of weeks ago I was sharing, I've been sharing been on a, a, a series. This is the third part. It'll be the last part for now. That God wants to develop a culture of expectation in this place. I've talked about this over the last three years. And he told me recently that he wants us to be intentional, just like we've been intentional with establishing relationship and making relationship uh, a core value in our lives. He says, I want you to be intentional in this particular area. And I made the statement that I believe that expression, um, can't remember how I said it, but basically passionate worship and praise, I believe is the key for us establishing that culture of expectation. I believe it's a key. I don't believe it's the formula. I'm not saying, hey, if we do this, if we do A, then B is going to happen. We do A if we worship because we see that God values. He says that I'm looking for worshipers. I'm looking for those who will worship me in spirit and truth. For such is God seeking. And we see there are two kinds of people that get his attention. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For when we come to him, we must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you want to be the type of person that pleases him, then you know it takes faith. Knowing that as I go after you, God, I know that you're going to reward me with your presence, with your kingdom stuff, with the things that you want. So he's looking for those. Jesus said, when the son of man comes, will I find faith? And when we remember that when we saw Jesus, the people that 
he marveled at were those who had faith. He says, wow, I haven't even seen this kind of faith amongst God's covenant people. This is a Gentile. Are you kidding me? He marveled at people that expressed or, or displayed faith. He also marveled at people that displayed doubt and, obedi- doubt and, and um, disbelief, unbelief. How many times did he get on to his disciples? For their doubt and unbelief. Remember in Nazareth, he could do no mighty thing except heal a few sick folk because of their doubt and unbelief. It says he marveled at their doubt and unbelief. So if God's going to marvel at me, which I want him to, I want it to be because of my faith and not my doubt and unbelief. So we know what gets his attention are those who worship him and those who move towards him in faith. And that's what I believe God is establishing in this place. You know, I shared a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, whenever it happened, I think two weeks ago. There were three things that we could do to respond to his invitation. And one was to prepare ourselves. In other words, to prepare ourselves before we come to church, prepare our hearts to worship him, to engage in worship so that when we come, we're ready. I appreciate you doing that. There's definitely been, just in two weeks, there's definitely been a difference. You know, I looked at the clock about 10 after 10. And typically at 10 after 10, there's like 10 people in here. And then it's, you know, just getting started. Or if we've started, it's just kind of, you know, kind of warming up. You know, you know, like a motorcycle, you, you know, idle it. But this morning at 10 after 10, I mean, you guys were getting after it. It was incredible. And why is that important? Because I believe that honors God. I believe that honors Him. I mean, think about it. He's looking for worshipers. And when we say, you know what, God, I'm coming after you. I'm going to intentionally position myself to engage in fellowship and worship with you. And so we've prepared ourselves. And then the second thing is, is we participated. And the third thing is that I shared is we need to protect the environment. If we want to have a a place of honor and worship where God uh, commands his blessing, then we have to be brothers and sisters that walk together in unity. Because he says there he commands his blessing. So whatever can disrupt unity or cause disunity, we have to be on guard against that. And we have to make sure that we're not participating in that, giving our ears to anything that's going to cause me to be in disunity with another brother or sister. We have to be careful of that because we don't want that to rob what God wants to do. Amen? And I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you as a family saying, I want God. I want everything he has. And I see you going after it. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about formulas. If we do A, B, and C, then he's going to do D, E, and F. But we know that when God says to do this, if I want to honor him, then I'm going to do that. Amen? And so what I want to talk about today, if you want to put a title to this message, it's today is a good day to die. Doesn't that sound exciting? (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. 
Today is a good day to die. And so the question I want to answer is, as God has been inviting us and he's inviting, drawing us to himself, because he says, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. So he's saying, you make the first move. Now, this is after he made the first move by sending Jesus to die in our place. He established a covenant, made us clean by his blood so that we can come closer to him. And then now he says, okay, I've taken care of all this. Now you boldly approach my throne of grace, obtain mercy and find help in time of need. He tells us that boldly with confidence. In other words, don't be ashamed. Don't come crawling in, you know, afraid to look at God. He says with confidence, come. What is our confidence in? It's it's in what Jesus did for us. It's not confidence in what I can bring or who I am, but it's the fact that his blood was sufficient and it cleansed me and it covers me and he took my sin and gave me his righteousness. So I can walk into the throne room with the righteousness of Jesus covering me so I can come with confidence. And he says, when I need mercy and I need help, he says, come. And he also says in James chapter 4, draw close to me and I will... So he's given us the invitation. And that's what I feel like he's doing. He's extending an invitation to this body, this family. And it's how do we, how are we going to respond? And I have three more P's for you today. The last three P's two weeks ago were prepare, participate, and protect. Right? And I don't know why I'm stuck on P's. I guess there's a lot of words that start with P. And so it's easier. But what we must do to move towards God, and this is individual. Before we talked about corporately what we need to do, and this is individually what we need to do. We need to position self to praise. What I mean by that is, are you intentionally setting aside time daily to spend with the Lord? Arranging your schedule to make Him the central figure. Intentionally arranging our lives around Him. Intentionally. Too often, we churchgoers, we live Christianity by adding Jesus to what we're already doing. We invite him into our stuff. We say, oh yeah, Jesus. And, and I think sometimes unintentionally, it's by, by our belief system, you know, when we invite Jesus into our heart. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but the connotation can be we're inviting Jesus in Oh, come on, Jesus, have a seat. But what can happen is, is we're still Lord and he's an invited guest. You understand what I'm saying? Instead of submitting our lives, surrendering to him as king. See, the Bible says, when it talks about salvation, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, confessing him as Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So when I'm confessing him as Lord, then what am I doing? Am I just lipping something? Jesus is Lord. I believe God raised from the dead. Okay, I'm a Christian. No. Confession is I'm confessing the reality that I'm embracing. Jesus, you are Lord. You're my boss. So what happens is a lot of times in the church or people who go to church, they're living their lives. They're inviting Jesus to come and be a part of it. And then when they get in trouble, they ask for his help. And so our life is, I do what I want to do, I do what I want to do. Oh, it's Sunday. I guess it's time to go to church. And then we do the Jesus thing or the Christian thing. That's got to change. 
And too many people are living a defeated, boring Christian life. And see, boring and Christianity should be total opposite. Because real Christianity, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. Now imagine this with me. If I'm connecting to the creator of the universe, is that going to be boring? I mean, think about it. Come on now. Now, religion that I participate in is boring. And that's what happens. We equate that with God. So when we say God, we think boring. And we're getting it all messed up. Because he is not boring. And we all know that. And so we need to intentionally set aside time daily to spend with the Lord. I was talking with a brother this, this past week and we were talking about, and I appreciate the way he said this because it's like, oh man, how we, instead of what we do a lot of times with the Lord is we, um, it's like snack food or like drive through fast food. That was the word, fast food. Where we'll, you know, read a scripture here or sing a song here or we'll, you know, pray a little bit or we'll be doing it in the car on the way to work and that kind of thing. And that's okay. But if that's your relationship, then there's something wrong with that. Because even in, in natural life, sometimes you get really busy. And sometimes the only thing you have time to do is grab something that the fat, go through the drive through grab hopefully a healthy salad. Now, that's not what I ordered, but anyway, you grab food to go on the way because you have to get to your next destination. Now, if that's your lifestyle, if you're going through the drive-thru all the, all the time, every day, that is so unhealthy. Even if you're getting salads, that's unhealthy. And that may be every once in a while, but that should not be our lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be we're sitting down at the table eating a nice, full, balanced meal. It's the same thing with the Lord. If we're just snacking, going through the drive through hey, Lord, how you doing? And we're just grabbing him, a, you know, a few verses here, a couple of songs here, praying in tongues a few minutes here. If that's our relationship with him, that's not healthy. That may be a temporary situation that we engage in, and I encourage you to pray and praise and worship on your way to work and back and all that kind of stuff. I encourage that. But that should not be your relationship. That should be little supplements. Because what we should be doing is we should have time in our day where we're sitting down at the table and we're partaking of a full course meal with our Father. Are you with me? And so our lives, if you look at your life, look at your schedule, like look at last week's schedule and see how much of God was in that. How much time you just spent with Him. And then you determine if it needs to change or not. Or actually ask him if it needs, needs to change. But he has to become. He has to become the center of our lives. Now I know there are many of you in here who want to be fully equipped to be an effective servant of the king. And that's what I'm talking about. How are we going to be fully equipped? Going through religious activities is not going to do it. Connecting with Jesus and letting him change my life, that's what's going to do it. And we have to, do, we have to spend time. And I hope you hear my heart and you've heard me say this over and over and you've heard Pastor Dale say this over and over, spending time with him. And I'm not talking about a religious ritual and we can get into that. I've gotten into that where it gets boring and dry and stale. And we have to be on guard for that. 
And I believe he has an answer, which I'm going to share in a minute. But the most important thing is we have to carve time and say, this is my Jesus time. And I'm coming after you, Jesus. I'm coming after you. Number two. So the first one was position self to praise. The second one is passionately pursue him. Emphasis on the word passionate. Passionately. And I'm not talking about just reading your Bible. I'm not talking about just sharing your prayer requests, although you need to do both of those. In your time with him, the word of God should be a big chunk of that. Reading his word, ingesting his word, getting his word inside of me. Because that's what's going to change you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it goes on to say, so that you will know the good, acceptable, perfect will of the Lord. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's going to renew our mind? Positive confession? No. His word. If I'm positively confessing his word, that's good. But it's his word that's going to transform us. So if I don't put the word in me, then there's not much for the Holy Spirit to work with in changing me. So reading the word definitely needs to be a part. Sharing your 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 requests, your prayer requests with him. That's fine. Do that. But what I'm talking about is passionately praising and worshiping him. He has given us different expressions that he's saying, come after me. What I've been doing this last week. Let me back up. I had I had an interesting thing happen. I've been in this, this season these last two or three weeks. It's just been crazy. It's been awesome. I've been, my emotions have been heightened. I feel God's presence. You know, just the emotional thing where you feel, you feel, you feel. And of course, we don't live by that. But when God brings that on, embrace it. It's fun. It's awesome. It's like he's doing that intentionally. But my feelings, my emotions have been heightened. Been crying too much. Stuff like that. And so it's like I'm aware of his presence. I've been just, it's like a heightened sensitivity. I woke up one morning and it was like the very opposite. It was like I woke up and it, it, it was so um, dramatic or, or whatever that it, the first thing I woke up, I noticed. I felt like God was gone. It was like vo- totally void of emotion. And it startled me, and I'm like, what in the world? Because just the night before, it was the opposite. And so I wake up, and it's like, it's gone. And I said, man, what's going on, God? First, I'm thinking, did I grieve you? Did I quench the Holy Spirit? Did I sin? What did I do? And I'm searching my heart. Oh, God, search my heart, see if there's anything. You know, you're going through that, that, oh, what's going on? I've sinned. I had to sin. And he said, no. And I said, what is it? And then he shocked me when he said this. He said, I'm hiding. I want you to come find me. And of course, when he said that, when I felt like the Holy Spirit, of course, this is subjective. This is what I believe he told me. Of course, my mind is, is that scriptural? Is that scriptural? Where's the scripture reference for that? And you know how cool God is? He gave me one. Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. It's like, oh. And it was so cool because when, first when I heard that, it startled me. Is this God? 
Because, see, I don't want to fall into deception. I'm not about that. I want him. But I'm not going to not move, and I'm not going to allow fear to determine my move. In other words, I'm afraid of deception, so I'm not going to move towards God. I'm not going to be emotional or anything like that because I don't want to get in deception. If God tells me I can be emotional, if God's saying I can express exuberant praise, then I'm going to do it in faith that he's going to protect me. Are you with me? But anyway, so I'm like, when I realized God was inviting me to come after him, man, I had this warm fuzzy inside of me. It's like, ooh. And so I did. I went after him. Had an incredible time with him. There's a lot of shouting going on. A lot of stuff going on. It was incredible. And I remember later on in the week, I can't remember which day it was. It was about 4.30 in the morning. I woke up to use the restroom. Then I go back to bed and use I can just go right back to sleep. But I made one mistake. You know how when you, if you, if your mind is occupied, if you're worried about stuff, and your mind is playing that tape over and over and over again, and you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden that tape starts playing and you can't go back to sleep? Anybody ever had that? Don't you hate that? That's yuck. That's just, ugh. Well, I woke up 4.30 in the morning, get back in bed, snuggling back up, ready to go back to sleep, and I made one mistake. I thought about God. I thought about Him, and I just about came undone. And He said, come on. I'm like, but it's 4.30 in the morning. And I just felt the pleasure of the Lord saying, come on. And here's what I was saying to him in bed. I'm thinking, well, Lord, I have to drive to Oklahoma City today. If I get up now, I'm going to be sleeping. I might have a hard time staying awake. If you'll keep me awake, then I'll come spend time with you. I felt like he said, okay. (laughs) So I did. I got up 4.30 in the morning. Had an incredible time. Incredible time. And see, what what I'm realizing, that it's, it's not just about singing songs and worshiping him and being and yelling and screaming, but it's about what's happening in that exchange. There's something happening in me during this exchange. And that's the third thing I want to talk about. So number one is position self to praise. Number two is passionately pursue him. And I want to encourage you with everything in me. I want to encourage you to passionately go after him. I encourage you. I want to give you a homework assignment that during your time, as you carve out time, whether it's 30 minutes, an hour, or whatever this week, I want to encourage you to intentionally spend time shouting. Of course, you want to get where you, you know, if if you're at home and the kids are asleep or your wife's asleep, you can't, you don't want to wake them up. But go get in your car. I've done that before. I've gone outside, got in my van. Turned it on so I can have AC and stereo. And I'm in there shouting and ah, just having a great time. So I want to encourage you to get somewhere where you can shout and just find something to shout. If it's Jesus, if it's a, if it's a promise of God, God, you are awesome. Just whatever. I just want to encourage you to say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying try it. Because with the connotation of that comes, I'm going to see how it works. Okay, I did it a couple of times, didn't do anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing it simply because he said, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 
Okay? And whether you see something happen or not, that's beside the point. You're doing it because you want to honor him and you're coming after him and just tell him how good he is and how awesome he is and he's all that. Okay? That's just a, something I want to encourage you with. Number three, purpose to die. Purpose to die. Purpose to die. Not intentional, I mean, not accidental. We have to die so that He can live through us. And I'm finding that the most effective way for this to happen is to live, hang out, and spend time in His presence. What I'm finding in my life is that as I'm spending time with Him, my passion, my desire, my love for Him goes to a higher level. And then it's like, God, whatever you say, whatever you want, I want. And then he'll put his finger on something. He'll show me that something, show me something that's in the way. Just like a, a, a while ago I shared of how I was just going crazy for him, yelling and singing. And, and all of a sudden he showed me, he reminded me of two situations where I was hoping, for whatever reason, there's an opportunity for the person I was talking to to, to praise me or, or show appreciation or whatever. And they didn't do it. And there was that little tinge in there, and it happened twice. And he was showing me that. There's nothing wrong with someone thanking you, showing appreciation. But if I find myself living for that or expecting that, there's going to be a problem. Because if I don't get it, then I'm going to have issues. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be offended. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to say, well, fine. See if I ever do anything for you again. You see what I mean? So it's okay for us to show appreciation and praise for people. That's, that's okay. That's good. That's real good. It's not good for me to accept, to expect it. And you know, if I, if I have to have the praise of man, if I live by the praise of man, then I will die by his criticism. I'll be in bondage to what man thinks of me. And I don't want any part of that. And I believe that's what God was dealing with right there. He's saying, son, I don't want this to hinder you from what I have for you. And I was like, Jesus, and that's when I was saying, I was about to say, do whatever you want to. But then I paused because self-preservation tried to come up and say, don't do it. It's a trap. It's a setup. And so, you know, you want to say, God, do what you want to do as long as I approve. But I told that voice to shut up. And I said, Jesus, whatever you want to do, whatever you have to do, bring it. Now, that's a scary prayer unless you trust him. And see, that's what's happening in me. Because I'm drawing close to him, I see his face. Remember we talked about that the presence of God, when it talks about the presence in the Bible, is referring to the face of God. The Hebrew word is face. And as I've been praising and worshiping and drawing close to him, I'm seeing his face and it's like, God, you're so good. That's why I keep crying. Because you're so good. And I don't know how else to express it other than the tears come up and... <laughs> It's been crazy because it's never been like that before as long as it's been happening now. But he's so good. I can't take it. He's so wonderful. And it's like, I trust you. You're trustworthy. Even if it hurts, you're trustworthy. Even if it's scary, the process is scary or painful. I trust you that you're going to take me by the hand and lead me through it. And that's where I am before. That's where I am now where I wasn't before. I was afraid to pray the scary prayers. I don't want the old me anymore. I want him to live through me. 
And I realized for him to live through me, I must die. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man wants to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself. Excuse me. First he said, take up his cross daily. Everybody say daily. See, it's not just a one-time crucifixion. We're talking about going to the cross every single day. We're going to talk about what that looks like in a second, practically. But take up my cross daily and follow him. In other words, I'm denying myself. I'm laying down my life, my ambitions, my whatever, and I'm going, I'm following him. See, I'm not just a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's what we need more of in the church. Not Christians who do things, but followers of Jesus. When Jesus is going to the left, we go to the left. When Jesus is going to the right, we go to the right. That's what that song's about. When he goes to the left, hey, Jesus, I'm going with you. If Jesus said, let's dance, okay, let's dance. Whatever Jesus is doing, whatever he's... Remember he said, I only do what my father does. So what should we be saying? I only do what I see Jesus doing. I only say what I hear Jesus saying. Because he's the one that we're following. It requires death. Death to self. There's a scripture in Revelations 12, 11. I'm sorry, Omid, I'm not even going by my notes right. So uh, anyway. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of the testimony. There's a song years ago we used to sing. Not not we necessarily in this church. I can't even remember the, the words of the song. But in Christendom, it was a very popular song. And it had, um, part of it was, they overcame because of the, by the word of their testimony, excuse me, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they would stop. The chorus or whatever the phrase in the, the music would stop at those two things. Blood of the lamb, word of his testimony. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And a lot of Christians, we quote that. We, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And they get all excited and we shout and praise Jesus and all that kind of stuff. There's only one problem with that. We're not quoting the full scripture. We're quoting two out of three, 67%. That's not a good average. We need to hit all three of them. The last one says, and they did not love their life even fate when faced with death. Loving not our lives even unto death. Even unto death. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not, not loving our lives even unto death. All three, that's how we're going to overcome. We have to die. As long as I stay alive to my wants, my desires, my ambitions, etc., then I will never be able to fully fulfill the will of the Father. Never. There's a scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to, to be carnally minded is death, or to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or strife or, or an enemy, against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God 
If I'm living in the flesh, if I'm living, if I'm walking in my soul, my life, my wants, my ambition, then my mind is carnal. And that's the mindset I live in and I walk in. My mind is going to be hostile towards the things of God. It cannot, it's not subject to the, to the law of God and it can't be. And so as long as I continue to walk in the flesh, hold on to my stuff, my ways, I cannot please God. I won't even want to. And so I need to die. That's the answer, right? The carnal mind is hostile towards the things of God. The natural mind will battle and reject the very things of God. You know, when some people say, I want to know God's will for me, I want to know God's will for me. If he reveals it to you too soon, you're going to reject it. Because your heart and mindset is not in a place that you want to embrace it. When I first got saved at age 18 at Oklahoma State University as a freshman, I was shy, I was pretty quiet. If God would have told me, showed me what his will was for my life, I would have pulled a Jonah. I would have said, I don't think so. Are you kidding me? You know, when you, I had to take, in high school, had to take um, speech. I think I took it in college as well. And just the thought, oh my goodness, I have to get in front of people just terrified. I mean, where you can't sleep the night before. Your stomach is a night. And every time you think about it, your stomach just knots up. See, that's where I was. That's who I was. And if God would have said what I'm doing now is, and if he'd have told me that back then, when he hadn't even started changing me yet, dude, I would have said, I don't think so. I'm out of here. But what happened is, is I began to know him. You know how in the Bible says, delight yourself in him and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what I believe that means? As I delight myself in him, his desires become my desires. In other words, you know, God is like, boy, I really love people. I'd really like to bless these people over here. Hmm, I wonder who would do that for me. Oh, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. Remember he said that? Was it Jeremiah or Isaiah? I think it was Isaiah. Who will go for me? Who shall I send? He said, send me, Lord. Here am I. Send me. But it was after God had changed him. Remember the lips? He touched the coal, the lips with the coal and changed him. He, he saw God. Oh, God, you are incredible. He got a glimpse of view of God. God changed him. And then he was willing to do whatever God wanted to do. And God was saying, hmm, who shall I send? He didn't say, Isaiah, I'm sending you. He said, hmm, I have this desire that I want to be expressed. Who will do it for me? And Isaiah's freaking out. Please, God. Oh. And I find that is what's happening. As I'm getting a glimpse of God's heart, I get close enough, and I see in his heart what he wants. And it's like, ooh, I want to do that. I want that. Can I have some of that? He's like, I'm glad you asked. But it's as I die to me, myself, what I want. You 
Like I said again, as I stay alive to my wants, desires, ambitions, I will never be able to fully fulfill the will of the Father. I will always be in bondage to circumstances and my feelings. Fear, offenses, praise or criticism of man, etc. Let me give you an example. Most Christians do not share or talk about Jesus to non-Christians. Now, statistically saying, most Christians don't. There are polls that shows that most Christians have never even witnessed anybody before. And that kind of thing. Now, if I were to ask you the number one reason why most Christians don't share Jesus with non-Christians, what do you think that answer is? The number one reason. What is it? Fear. Exactly. Fear. The reason why I don't share or tell people about Jesus is because I'm afraid. I'm a fearing. I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid of what they think. I'm afraid of what they might do. I'm afraid of what they might say. I'm afraid of how they're going to react and respond to me. Guess who it's all about? It's all about me. And because it's all about me, then I'm not going to do anything that's going to take away from me or put me in jeopardy. And so fear, because if I go to this person and say, Jesus, 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 or whatever, and he rejects me, then that's going to hurt my feelings because it's about me. The Bible says perfect love cast out, it casts out fear. So when I'm walking in love with him, and I'm letting him change me, and all of a sudden that love is going to begin to go towards other people because I'm not going to be afraid of them. I'm going to be more concerned about sharing something good with them. You know, kind of think of it like this, an illustration that I've heard before. If you're walking down the street and you look in the window and you see a family and they're eating dinner, and all of a sudden you look and notice on the roof that the roof's on fire. But the family is totally oblivious to it. And you see that they are in grave danger and they don't have any clue. And you're the only one around to do something about it. Now, would you go run and pound on the door or actually not even wait for them to open the door? Maybe kick the door open or go in and say, guys, you got to get out right now. You're about to, your house is on fire. You're about to burn up. Or would you be sitting on a street corner saying, well, they might get mad at me. They might get upset with me for intruding on their meal. So that sounds pretty ludicrous, doesn't it? But that's what we do because people are dying and they're going to hell. And that's not a temporary situation. But I'm allowing the fear of man, I'm allowing what they might think, what they might do, what they might say, how they might treat me, I'm allowing that to dictate my obedience or disobedience. Because, see, it's about me. This is why I must die to myself. Our lives need to be where we truly only want His will to be done. Now, how do you and I die? I want to share this. It's a very practical thing that I'm going to share. I'm going to try to do it very quickly. So when we talk about dying, what does it look like? I was telling Lisa this morning, it's not, we're not going to all drink a bunch of Kool-Aid. <laughs> Some of you young people don't know what I'm talking about. Ask your parents. Anyway, now there was a cult years ago, and the leader had them all drink this Kool-Aid, and it was poisoned, and they all died. That's not what I'm talking about. But what does it look like? What does it look like for when we talk about us having to die? Have you ever wondered why you can be more patient, more loving, and more forgiving to a stranger than your own family? Anybody ever noticed that? 
You know, a total stranger, oh, it's okay. You know, they might get mud on your floor. Oh, it's okay. They might do something stupid that you might yell at your kids for doing it or, or get mad at your wife or spouse for doing that. But a, new, a stranger, oh, it's okay. You ever notice that we, we're so nice to strangers? Anybody notice that? And I'm thinking, Lord, what is up with that? Why is it? Or why do we get so angry with our spouse, our kids, or our closest friends so often? Or even the guy who pulls in front of us in traffic? Now, I know you guys don't do that, but you know somebody who does. Right? I mean, someone pulls out in front of you, and you're just like, what? Are you kidding me? Especially if, if the speed limit's like 40, and they pull in front of you, and they go 25. And you can't pass because the traffic, you know, for whatever reason, you can't pass. You're like, are you kidding me? What is your problem? And that's the nice version. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like, why is that? And I have an answer. What is a common denominator? Two things, or it's pretty much the same thing. Rights and expectations. Expectations. Why is it that I'm nicer to a stranger? Because I have no expectation of them acting a certain way. So they act a certain way. Oh, I may not like it, but because they didn't, I wasn't expecting anything. I'm okay with that. But I have all these expectations when it comes to my spouse. You wonder why you get so frustrated with your spouse or your kids or those who are closest to you. Because you have a whole bunch of expectations. And think about it. Every single time you got mad, think about maybe on the way to church this morning. The last time you got angry, there was an expectation or a right that you felt you had that was violated. And you got mad. I'm going to ask you this question. How many rights or expectations does a dead man have? Do you realize if I own a house and then I die, I don't get to own that house anymore? Or how many expectations or rights does a slave have? Probably not too many. But yet we as Christians, we're saying, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to self, alive to Jesus. And yet we have all of these rights. And we wonder why we're getting angry and we're getting frustrated. Every time you get angry, you can trace it back to a right. Maybe something happened, excuse me, maybe something happened to you a long time ago and you find yourself getting angry still over a, circum, a circumstance or situation. It's not happening anymore, but every time you think about it, you still get angry was probably because you feel like you have the right for that person to be judged or suffer some kind of something. And because it doesn't seem like they are, you get angry. They're getting away with it. They hurt me, they did this to me, and they're getting away with it. And so you're angry, you can't forgive, you don't want to because you're holding on thinking, somebody's got to punish him, so I will. And as long as we hold on to these rights and these expectations, we're going to be in bondage. And that's what a lot of our problem is. And see, the interesting thing is, that's what the Holy Spirit's been putting his finger on. As I get in his presence, he's showing me these things. Man, why am I so frustrated? And he's showing me this right. Whoa, I didn't realize I had that. When I first became a parent, when Trey was born into our lives... I didn't think I had anger issues until the kid came along. 
And he was a very colicky, well, he cried all the time. He cried a lot. So sleeping at night didn't happen. And so night after night after night, he would cry, he would cry and cry. And Lisa and I took turns getting up. And, and man, the anger in me, I was so frustrated and angry because when it came time to go to work, you know, bloodshot eyes and just, dang it, that stupid kid. And, you know, going to work and you're, you know, and I'm not a coffee drinker, but I was sucking it down that time. <laughs> I need drugs. I need caffeine. I need some. But I found myself getting angry. And I remember it got, it got to the point where it scared me. Some of you may remember, this was back in the early 90s, and there were these commercials that came on, and it, I can't remember what they were called, but they were, you know, trying to make a point, an important point, and so they were very strong commercials. Some, like the ones you see now about smoking, it shows like the guy who has a hole in his throat, you know, and all that, and it's like, whoa, this is pretty strong. Well, that's the point. They want you to get the message so you quit doing the thing that's going to harm you. Well, these commercials were about, like, moms or single moms or whoever that would get so frustrated and angry at their baby crying or wouldn't stop crying that they would throw them against the wall and they would inadvertently kill the baby you get any of you people remember those commercials okay well i remember seeing those commercials and boy i'd be i'd be angry like how could someone do that to a little, a little innocent baby well, i was righteously indignant i was fired up but here's what scared me I was angry because of this little kid and I could begin to relate to the ladies in that, in that video. I began to understand, oh my goodness. I understood why they were doing it and how they can even get to the point of doing it. And I remember crying out to God and say, God, you have to do something because if nothing changes, somebody's going to get hurt. And I was afraid that I was going to hurt this precious little one. I mean, I hope you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the anger was just building up in me. I didn't know what to do with it. I was praying, oh God, oh God, oh God, do something. And of course, the answer was for him to stop crying so I could sleep. That was the answer, right? (laughs) But the Lord showed me the problem is the right that I have or the expectation that I have to sleep all night. See, I felt it was a right. It was my God-given right and expectation that I could sleep all night without being interrupted. And every single night, he violated that expectation, and I got mad. When the Lord showed me this, I yielded to him, and I said, God, I give up this right to sleep. I give up this expectation to sleep all night. And the Bible says in, in Psalms 62, 5, it says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. See, I gave up this expectation, and I put my hope in him. I put my expectations and trust that he's going to fulfill the expectations that need to be met. And I say, God, I need help. I lay this down, this expectation. I lay this down. And it didn't happen the first night. I don't know how it didn't happen immediately. But soon, I remember when there was a change in me, in my soul, when I woke up. He said, like, tag, you're it. Your turn. I woke up going to my son's room, and I was singing. And it freaked me out. Like, what in the world? Because I wasn't singing a few days ago. But it's like, wow, God, you did something. I gave up that right to sleep. So when I didn't get to sleep fully, I wasn't expecting it. And then guess what happened? I don't know how long it took. Lisa would remember. But not too long time after that, 
He started sleeping through the night. But the cool thing was, was I was okay before he started sleeping through the night. You see what I'm getting at? When I laid down my expectation, then it's like God intervened and took care of it. But everything was okay. But he had dealt with that issue in my heart, that anger. Unless we deal with these rights and expectations, we're going to be bound to anger, frustration. And I want to share a few in closing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. See, that's the problem is many of us are giving place to the devil because of our sin when we, we're, we're sinning in our anger. Say, well, okay, I can be angry and not sin. But check this out. Let all, excuse me, lost my place. Let me start over. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Then verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Then the next verse, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So first it says, be angry and do not, do not sin. And then it says, put away anger. So when we find ourselves angry, we need to not sin. But there needs to come a point when we put away the anger, when there's not even anger in us. And how do we do that? We lay down our rights. Because see, if we stay in that place of anger, we're going to be in bondage. Because most of us can't be angry and not sin. I mean, Jesus did it effectively. The Pharisees might have thought he was sinning when that whip was coming upside their backside. But only God can be angry and not sin. We might be able to do it sometimes if it's a righteous anger that has nothing to do with us. If we see an injustice or whatever. But typically when it has to do with us. But he says to put away anger. Put away anger. And see, this is how we die daily. Remember, it's not just a once in a lifetime, but it's a daily thing. Would you stand with me? So I just want to invite you to close your eyes. We need to position ourselves to praise, passionately pursue him, and then purpose to die. I believe that's how we can practically respond to his invitation. Right now, what I want to encourage you with is there may be a particular issue that keeps coming up over and over and over. Something that keeps making you angry or not making you angry, but you keep getting angry. And I just want to give you the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to help you identify that right and you lay it down. And you'll know that that right has been given up because you won't get angry about that particular thing anymore. Some of us need to give up the right of having my way of being able to do the speed limit all the way down Perkins Road. And as silly as that may sound, if we can learn to give up our rights in that situation, then we're going to be able to do it for bigger things. If we can't be faithful with the little things, then he can't entrust us with the bigger things. I want to be free. I want to be free from anger, frustration, resentment, 
so I can love, so he can love me and he can love through me. And then if people hurt me or throw insults at me or don't praise me or whatever the thing is, I want to be okay so I can still love them. Amen? So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to highlight what it is in our lives, the right that we need to focus on so we can give up. I thank you for extending your grace. We embrace your grace to be able to lay down this particular right or expectation. And we trust in you to fulfill our expectations, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you are increasing passion in your people. Lord, that we're becoming passionate for you because you are passionate for us. We love you. We thank you. We give you honor and praise in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite the ministry team to come up. And as I close in prayer, if you have anything in your life, you want someone to be praying with you, to agree with you, maybe it's this issue of rights or expectations, or you have physical challenges going on.